Hello, everyone, and welcome back to season four of the Genuine Judaism podcast. In this season, as I have explained previously, we will be looking at the more obscure characters throughout the Parsha. And this week's Parsha is Parsha's Shemos, Parsha's Shemot, if you will. And in this week's Parsha, obviously, we have the beginning of the story of the exodus of the Jewish people from the land of Egypt. So up until this point, as some background information, we have an era of relative peace between Egyptians and Jews after the famine in the Middle East. And we had a paro who was more or less quite kind to the Jews, actually. And he allowed us to have our own area in Goshen because Yosef was his second in command, one of our forefathers' sons, one of the tribes. One of the head of the tribes, Yosef, he was the second in command, and Jews enjoyed relative prosperity and peace in Egypt for some time. Now comes this week's Parsha. In this week's Parsha, there's actually two Paros. There is the first Paro, um, who we are introduced with in this week's Parsha. He is called the new king of Egypt that did not know Yosef. Whatever that means is a matter of, ta- a matter of discussion beyond the scope of this podcast. And you can find many commentaries discuss what this means. But regardless, we have Paro number one in this week's Parsha. And this is the Paro that was there for, let's say, the generation before Moshe. He was still alive during Moshe's time and Moshe grew up with him. But for he was the Paro of the generation before Moshe. Um, and he was the king of Egypt, the ruler He ushered in a new era. The Jews, up until this point, as mentioned earlier, have enjoyed relative prosperity and peace in the land of Egypt. Now, this new king who did not know Joseph, he had different plans in mind. To him, the Jews were a growing population, a growing non-native population in Egypt. And to him, to this paro, they were a threat to the Egyptians. Because the Egyptians were surrounded by other nations. And he was concerned that if the other nations were to wage a war against the Egyptians, the Hebrews, the Ivrim, would simply join the side of the enemies. And so this Paro ushered in an era of complete dictatorship for the Jews that lived in Egypt at the time. Um, complete, um, he completely subjugated them to him. And they were forced to work with backbreaking labor, labor designed to crush their spirits and labor designed to crush their soul. And he became a ruthless dictator to the Jewish people, decreeing that all the Jewish boys should be thrown into the Nile River and decreeing that all the, and decreeing that all the, uh, that the midwives that the midwives at one point uh, should should kill the kill the Jewish newborns when they come out of the mother's womb if it's a boy and throw them into the Nile River. So this is Paro number one. Okay, we have the reason I chose to speak about Paro, by the way, is because we all we often look at Tanakh uh, being Jews ourselves. We often look at Tanakh through the lens of the Jewish people and through the lens of. Uh, and through the lens of our forefathers, as we should. Um, but sometimes what gets lost in that is trying to really understand the evil of the other side. You know, if we 
if we look at the par at the power that Paro had and the prosperity which Egypt enjoyed, his evil becomes all the more apparent. And so there is the story in this week's parsha, in this week's Torah portion, that goes about Moshe's birth at the same time while this new paro is trying to decree that all the Jewish baby boys should be thrown into the Nile. We have one Jewish baby boy who not only doesn't get thr- doesn't die when thrown into the Nile, but floats his way to Paro's castle, to Paro's own house. Now, speak of ironic when you try to get rid of all the Jewish boys and then end up raising one yourself. And this is a very interesting turn of events. This Paro, this Paro, his daughter, sees this little basket rolling on the Nile River, like floating on the Nile River, and she takes it for herself. She gets one of her maidservants to reach it and takes it for herself. And she sees that it's a Jewish boy, and she says that she has pity on him, and the Jewish boy is brought up. He's nursed by a Jewish, his own Jewish mother, um, in the most in the most uh, miraculous of ways. And this is really miraculous because the reason that he was that Moshe was thrown into the basket, as we all know, in the first place, was because she could no the his mother could no longer hide him. <clears throat> but because. Because now Paro's daughter said that his that Moshe's mother has to nurse Moshe. She can nurse Moshe in the open and without fear of the of the midwives or of Egyptians, you know, um, trying to kill her or her family or her son. And this was a real blessing. And Moshe still grows up in some sense in Paro's house. Right? Philo makes a the the Jewish philosopher Philo talks a lot about how Moshe is the perfect. Um, uh, Moshe is the perfect person to have written the Torah, even though it's written in multiple languages, which is a, a critic that a lot of a lot of Bible criti- the subject of a lot of bi- Bible criticism. Moshe grew up in Paro's house. He's the only one of that generation who would have, as a potential heir to the throne or as a potential prince in the palace, a second in command, would have needed to know all these other languages. Who was Jewish, and who had this war t- war strategies behind him and everything, but that's beside the point. Despite the fact that Moshe was growing up in Paro's house, in Paro one's house, besides the fact that Moshe was growing up in Paro one's house, Moshe still was, he was still very attached to his Jewish people. And so there's the story that goes that in the Torah, it says this, that, you know, Moshe was walking out to be among his brothers as he grew up. And he saw the evil of an Egyptian taskmaster. And so it says Moshe looked left and right to make sure nobody was looking. Moshe killed him and buried him in the sand. So we see that Moshe already has this um, empathy for his people, this also the sense of justice. You know, like because when because this this uh, this joy that certain people get from evil is almost worse than just being part of than just being part of an evil system. And so Moshe has this sense of justice already from an early age. So he kills him. He looks left and right. And nobody's there. He kills him. He buries him in the sand. The second story goes that there's two Jews fighting. And so Moshe tells them, you know, how could you be so wicked to raise your hand against your brother? And one of them answers, so what? You're just going to kill me like you did the Egyptian the other day? And um, so Moshe, it says that Moshe sees that the matter is known 
And so this is where Paro comes in, right? Now think about it like this. Paro one, he has an adopted son almost, right? Uh, Moshe is his adopted son. And the Egyptian taskmaster, no matter how high ranking, is not family. As far as we know, he's not family. He's just an Egyptian taskmaster. And because Moshe, his own adopted son, killed this Egyptian taskmaster, Paros wants to kill Moshe, and Moshe was forced to flee. So Paro I was such a force of rulership, of dictatorship, that he wanted his own son dead just for the sake of his rule to be upheld. This is blind, and this is what happens when power-hungry people have control of a country. This is what happened in Egypt. And even his own son, he was ready to kill just for the sake of maintaining his order. And that is very scary. So regardless, now the stories of Moshe and Paro are intertwined, so we can't really do one without explaining some of the other side. So now Moshe flees to this land called Midian, um, and he stays there for a long time. He marries, and it says that a long time has passed, and Paro one, he dies. So now we're introduced to Paro two. Okay, so Paro two, he was, he also, it says that he also noticed that the Jews were becoming numerous and like they're increasing, and he says that. And he has this very similar mindset to his predecessor. And it's around this time where Moshe is given the divine imperative to come back to Egypt and to face Paro. And when he comes back to Egypt to face Paro, you know, think about it. It's, uh, it does, this, does this successor Paro, Paro II, even know Moshe that well? Like, was Moshe a big deal of discussion? For the many years that he was gone, it's hard to say. Like, I, I wouldn't imagine how this is possible without divine intervention. But Moshe somehow manages to gain an audience with the king of Egypt alongside his brother and other Jews who were considered peasants at the time. Even the priestly tribes were not really, compared to the, compared to the Egyptian priests, were not considered anything of value to, to support or whatnot. Um, but basically, Paro too was... Uh, this this successor Paro agreed to an audience with Moshe and Aaron, and Moshe and Aaron say, "You know, our our God requires us. Our God asks of us to go out to Him for three days in the in the wilderness and to offer sacrifices to Him. However, you want to translate that verse, but the the main translation is to offer sacrifices to Him, to have a celebration to Him. So, give us three days." to go worship our God. And with the amount of capital that and the amount of prosperity that the Jews have brought in with their free labor, essentially, for the past multiple decades, it might seem like a far-fetched request because this is a slave group, essentially, and, they, and they're in the dictatorship, so any request seems far-fetched. But if you think about it from our point of view, perhaps from a more rational um, Western upbringing of perhaps civil discourse and whatnot. Paro's this request of Paro is very reasonable. Three days off after giving you decades of free labor of backbreaking labor, it's quite a it, it's it's more like a chance for this new Paro to prove that he could be different, right? Because this is a new era, 
it could be that this paro is different. Maybe that's why Hashem told Moshe to, you know, to go and ask paro. And Hashem told Moshe that he's going to harden this paro's heart, whatever that means. You know, the question of free will is also not relevant here for us in the podcast. But Hashem knew that paro was going to say no, that he wasn't going to let them go out. But the people needed to know that this paro was not going to treat them any differently. And it says that this paro even increased the labor and the people were crying out bitterly because the predecessor paro died. And so they finally felt like they had maybe some relief and they cried out to Hashem. And they finally remembered to cry out to Hashem because they, they were able to, they were able to, in this brief moment of the predecessor paro dying, they were able to gain their, they were able to gain some time to speak to Hashem. And Hashem heard them and he sends Moshe after them. So anyways, this second paro proves that he is just as bad as the first one. He does not let them leave. Not only that, he accuses them of being lazy, of being extremely lazy. And he says, no longer will you be provided with bricks, with straw for bricks. No longer will you be provided with your materials to create bricks, to create structures. And your quotas to create those structures will remain the same. But you have to go and get the supplies yourselves. And you even see a delegation from the Jewish community come to Paro, this second Paro, and say, why, why are you doing this to us? We have served you faithfully, and you're not changing our quotas. You're keeping them the exact same. It's 100 times harder like, to do it without any materials, and we have to get the materials ourselves. We're doing nothing wrong. This is completely, this would, be, this would look really bad for your nation if you did this to us, which is very true. It's, it looks awful. When when rights are taken to this when rights are taken away to this extent from a people who live in the country which you rule, and this Paro says, "No, enough! You you're too lazy. It's, you're just you're all too lazy. You need to be taught a lesson." And so we see the second Paro really is perhaps even worse than the first one. He wants to establish his rule with an iron fist. Um, and this is the story of Paro one and. Paro 2 will be who will we speak about from now on. But the main gist to take away from this is that this new Paro, who did not know Yosef, issued in a new era of subjugation for the Jews. Um, and Paro 2 followed in his footsteps to a great degree and made life considerably harder. So whereas Paro 1 tried to rationalize himself because maybe he was afraid of oncoming wars and being taken over and uprooted. The second Paro not only agreed with that, but he had more selfish reasons. He just wanted to establish his kingdom, it seems like. He wanted to prove his worth. Who is this God that I should listen to, right? He wanted to establish his rule with an iron fist. We see a very similar thing happen in Tanakh that caused the downfall of the Jewish people with when Shlomo HaMelech's son, Rechavam, was asked to lower taxes. And when the sages told him to acquiesce to the people and lower the taxes, he, 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 he heard what they said. He went to his friends and his friends told him to not to lower the taxes, to raise the taxes. And so Rehavam, in order to establish his rule and his authority, quote unquote authority, he actually raised the taxes. And he said that if you thought my father was harsh on you, um, which the Jews didn't, they enjoyed prosperity. They just had high taxes. Um, if you thought my father was harsh on you, I'm going to be just as harsh as him. He uses much more um, graphic language, but you know, if he, you're uh, my, 
whatever that the language is much more graphic but the point is just like the second para wants to establish his authority and uses very cruel tactics tactics to do so so too we see this problem this was this stage with para was kind of like a warning for later generations we see it happen again with rahavam and if only we had learned the lesson, you know, and this, this power doesn't have to, you might be thinking, how could this apply to us? You know, we're just regular people and we live our daily lives. But, you know, some of us have people who were, the, who were in charge of or something, or we have like projects we're in charge of. It's important to remember to do what's best for the people or for the project and not necessarily try to establish some sort of fake authority or, you know, some sort of, dictator authority out of pride or greed and so that's one lesson we can take away from how paros act from how the paros acted and um shabbat shalom everyone and i hope you have a great shabbos